You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So we're walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll continue through the book of Ecclesiastes for the next several weeks. Um, Just a quick programming note, though. If you're getting tired of Ecclesiastes, you think, man, it's kind of a downer. Uh, next week, you're going to get a break, okay? So next week is July the 11th, that's 7 plus 4, um, and, uh, and we're, you're going to have a special guest preacher that's not Matt Higginbotham uh, next week. It's actually, uh, I am going to be doing uh, a pulpit exchange with, with Roel Johnson from Rising Star Baptist Church. So next week, I'm going to be at Rising Star, I guess Rising Star is that way, um, which is a historic, historically black congregation. Uh, and then Roel Johnson's going to be here uh, preaching for me. If you've never heard Roel Johnson preach, uh, you are in for a treat. Uh, he is, he's got that James Earl Jones voice. You know, he just gets down there, and he is, he's a faithful, faithful man. Uh, so I love Roel. Roel and I have been working to, to make this happen for, for a while now. I told him uh, probably four years ago, I said, Roel, I want to I do a pulpit exchange with you one Sunday. He said, sounds like a plan, Matt. Uh, and here we are four years later finally getting around to it. We finally decided a few months ago, so let's just put a date on the calendar and we're going to do it. So, so that's the date. It was written down months and months ago in advance. Uh, Roel has been praying for you guys and for this, this sermon that he'll have next week uh, as I have been praying for Rising Star uh, as they, they get the minor leagues next week in, in their church. But it, it's going to be a good week. I encourage you to be here. Be here to support uh, Roel, but also just be here because you're going to be ministered to um, outside of the book of Ecclesiastes, almost certainly, I'd be shocked. Uh, he and I have talked about what we're preaching, and he did not mention Ecclesiastes. Um, so I'd be shocked if he was, 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 was to, to dip a toe there. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit just generally about, about the church and how the church should be the church. Uh, and I think we're both going to hit that from different angles. So um, be in prayer for a role this week. Be in prayer for me as I go preach just down the road. Uh, there's no, uh, I'm not preaching if you've call over there, so I won't be staying over there. I'll come back the next week, okay? That's possibly a lie as well, but I will be back, I promise. Um, I actually may have some vacation somewhere. I think I'll be back the next week, yeah. So I have some vacation after that. But, um, but I'm excited about that. I really am. I love Roy Johnson. Uh, I love the ministry that he has out at Rising Star, and I'm excited to see what, what he has to say to y'all. Um, I'll probably listen to it on the on YouTube or something later on uh, after after it gets posted. So so that that's just a little programming note for you. If you're tired of Ecclesiastes, you get a one week break next week. Okay, but if you're not tired of Ecclesiastes, even if you are, we're there today. Ecclesiastes chapter seven. If you have your Bible, open Ecclesiastes chapter seven. Um, we're going to read a little bit uh, and draw a little bit of encouragement, knowing that our God is indeed over all things. This is what it says, starting in Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse thirteen. Verse thirteen of Ecclesiastes seven. Uh, The writer says this. He says, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. This is a difficult difficult beginning to, to our pastor. But basically what he's saying is, you know, what God does, we can't undo. You know, we fight a long time fighting against things that God does, right? Well, in fact, some of the most frustrating parts of your life is when you find yourself fighting against what God has already done, what God has, has established to be done 
uh, you, you find yourself fighting against it. I've said before, I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not uh, a Calvinist in any meaningful way of the word, but I do believe that God is sovereign. And so that kind of puts you in a weird spot that God can be sovereign, and then you're not, uh, you know, all, all, don't, I don't take on all the baggage there. But here's what I believe when I speak of God's sovereignty what God wills to do, and what God ultimately wills to do, He will accomplish no matter how hard you kick and scream to, to avoid that. Right? What he wills to do, this, this end, like we read the story at the end in Revelation, right? that end where, where he comes back and uh, there's judgment and then there's you know, restoration, as he wills for that to happen, it's going to happen because God is in control of things. That, that idea that God is in control can lead us to two different mindsets. One, it can lead us to some degree of like, apprehension, like that means I'm not in control. If God is ultimately in control, that means I'm not in control. And that can make you a little bit nervous inside to know that there are things that no matter how hard you kick and scream, they don't change. I liken it to how I am with my children. Uh, I was told, I read a book once upon a time, it says, you know, kids need choices, right? Because like my, I was told as a child just to do what my parents told me to do uh, because my, my, my dad would whoop me otherwise. And so I didn't have choices as a child, uh, but I read a parenting book somewhere that said kids need choice, and I said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And so I give my kids choices from time to time. I say, hey, I need you to do this, and whatever it is, right, right? And they're like, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, awesome, I've got two choices for you, okay? You can do the thing that I'm telling you to do, or you can get a spanking, and then you can do the thing I'm telling you to do. Right, like I, I believe in choices. I believe to give children valuable choices that they can make decisions based off of the choices they have before them. Right, it's not like you cannot do the thing that I want you to do, and then we'll all, I'll do it for you. Right, like because they would always choose that option. So I'm always going to get my way. The question is, how much pain am I going to have to inflict in the process of getting my way? Right, and, and that's sort of the way sometimes I think God deals with that. And a lot of us were those children who we always choose option two. Right? God's like, you can do what I'm asking you to do, or you can experience a lot of pain and grief along the way and do what I'm asking you to do. Right? And a lot of us were like, I'm going to do it my way. And God's like, awesome. I'm fine with that decision. Here you go. Enjoy the consequences of your poor decisions. At the end, you're still going to do what I want. Right? That's, that's just the way it is. God is in control, and sometimes that makes us nervous because that means we're not fully in control. But also it can give you some peace knowing that there is a God who's over all creation, who knows the end from the beginning, and you're in that story that he's telling, and he is in control. And so when the world seems chaotic around you, when everything around you doesn't make sense, to know that there is an anchor in the middle of that storm that has everything under his control is actually quite comforting as well. And so, so I want us to look at it from that perspective. I think it's a healthier perspective. It's to know that God is in control, and that is for your good. Right? You won't know, like you can't make straight what God has made crooked, and you don't understand why there's good days and why there's bad days, and God has ordered all of those things to be like that. But you can know that the one who ordained it to be that way, right, is in charge of all of those things. The Bible says we get to have a relationship with that God who's in charge of all those things. That's pretty cool by the way, that we get to have that relationship continuing on down to verse 15. He says, in my vain life, I love that, by the way, that's a good way to view your life. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? 
Oh, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It's good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. And so he goes from telling you that God's in control to begin to tell some of those stories that just sometimes you know, make no sense, right? That, 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 that the, the, the one who is pursuing righteousness and wisdom dies young, and then this man who's just wicked and, like, his life seems prolonged by choosing wickedness, right? Like, he's choosing sin. He's choosing oppression. He's choosing injustice. And yet God uh, allows that person long life, and then the righteous gets short life, and we throw our hands up in the air, and we say, God, that can't be. Right? You can't reward the wicked with long life and the righteous with short life. That's not right. right? That doesn't seem fair to us. But you know what? It's not about you. It's not about whether or not you think it's fair. It's not about whether or not uh, it makes sense on your side. You know, I view, I view eternity sometimes as a tapestry, right? Or, or, or a nice rug. Cheap rugs, by the way. Here's a fun fact. If you ever just want to go like, check to see if your friends have cheap or nice rugs, Okay. Cheap rug, you pull it back, and the back just looks like the backing to a rug. But a nice rug, you pull it back, and you can almost pick out what the, what the, the decoration is on the front. That's just a fun fact for you, is you can check expensive rugs at all your friends' houses now, okay? Right? <laughs> a fun, that's a gift from me to you, okay? And your friends will love you for it, by the way, because everyone loves when you pick their rug up and look under it. My rugs, by the way, not expensive. You don't even have to look under my rugs, I'll just tell you. Cheap rugs in the parsonage right now. That's the way. That's the way we offer it. But you know, like wisdom and folly have limits, and so sometimes the wise, which you would expect to be receiving these 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 rewards on this side of eternity, don't get it, and the fool gets it. And sometimes the people who live like fools, they get their reward immediately, right? You know, the guy. There's someone today, somewhere in America, is going to die from a firework. Okay. Uh, and it's tragic in some ways and also inevitable that people are just dumb, right? And someone's going to do something stupid with an explosive. And it's gonna, they're going to lose a hand or some digits or maybe even die in the process. And at some point, you know, there's a part where folly gets its reward on this side of eternity, right? If you choose to be a fool, sometimes you get a fool's reward on eternity. But, you know, we can't make, we, we don't get to make those decisions. Like, if we got to make those decisions, we'd be like, that guy gets to live a long time, that lady gets to live a long time, that dude, however, it's time for him to go, right? But, but wisdom and folly have limits. And, and, and no matter how hard you pursue one or the other, ultimately, you're not, like, it, it, you're, not able to make, you're not able to make another day in your life. And one of the things that gives me peace is I deal with people who are approaching death. And this is uh, something I do on a, a more regular basis than I want to. Is there are some people who are just totally at peace with it. Like, you know what? If this is God, like if, if today is my day, I'm ready. And if it's not my day, I'm okay with that too. Right? It's not like they're rushing to see Jesus face to face. They're not rushing to their death. But they're contented that in this season of their life, that it's okay. That God has their days numbered. And they've accepted the fact that whether this day is their day or the next day or the day after that, whenever it is, they're okay with that. That general idea of acceptance flies in the face of the idea that we can extend our lives. You know, there's a guy out there um, who, who's, it's a whole group of people, 
Right? It's all these people who have more money than sense, and they believe in, in eternal life in your body. They believe that, that science is going to get to the point, maybe, maybe through some sort of random you know, technology, that, that you can be preserved forever. Maybe it'll just be your brain, and somehow it'll be implanted into another body, but that you could live forever here. I can't think of a worse punishment on earth, by the way, than to live forever here. Uh, not Rockdale. I mean, Rockdale's great, right? You could live in Cameron, I guess. That'd be worse. Any Cameron people in the room today? Hey, I do have some Cameron people in the room. Just throwing stones at our Cameron folk out there. Right? At least you're not Milano, though, right? I mean... No, I mean, I, I, I really, it's, it's tough, right? This world is full of trouble. I wouldn't want to live forever. There's people who really think they can. And they're spending, like, their fortunes, this vast amount of wealth, to try to figure out how to promote this, like, life-preserving forever future. Right? And, and, and it's, it's vain, it's not going to work, right? Because God ultimately has their day numbered, right? And if for some reason they were able to properly develop technology that could extend their life forever, right? Some bus is going to come by and hit them. Like that's just the way the story is going to end, right? Like like something that they have no control over because God deems your days, and it doesn't matter how wise you are or how foolish you are. There's limits to both those, but God is over the whole story. Continuing on to verse twenty, it says, "Surely." There is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest your servant hear your, uh, lest you hear your servant cursing you, for your heart knows that you many times have cursed others. Now this is just an interesting concept here, but basically it falls back to Romans three twenty three. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God. It's the beginning of the Romans road, right? One of the ways that we lead people to salvation is to start off and say, "Hey guys." No matter how hard you try, you're not perfect. God is perfect. You're not perfect. Every single one of us, no matter how righteous you are, you sin. You know, you may have someone that you look up to in the faith. I hope you have some people in your past or maybe even in your present. You look at them and that person loves the Lord. Man, I, I wish that, that I could have just a fraction of their faith. Kind of that Elijah figure in your life. You say, man, if I could just, just kind of get near them... And be a part of it. That would be amazing to have that. But you know, that person there, whoever they are in your life, that they, if they're righteous at all, they would gladly admit, like, we're fallen. Sinful, broken people. Right? And, and we don't always think that way, right? Sometimes we can compare ourselves to other people and think we're better. And so the, the Ecclesiastes writer says, you know, you may hear your servant cursing you. And you may have heard some people say some bad things about you before. I have heard some people say, I've told this story before, whenever I was like a child... My wife is shaking her head no. I always love when my wife is like, guarding my stories. Um, when I was a, a, a child, like 14, 15 years old, was dating a girl. Um, it was my wife's best friend. This is an interesting story. I married my wife's best uh, my I was dating my wife's best friend before. That makes her a bad friend. No matter how the story goes, somehow she's a bad friend at the end of that story. I'm not sure how that works, but I was dating this girl, and her parents just absolutely hated me, and I gave them some reasons, I'm sure, right, like we snuck around, and because they, they kind of said no for no reason, and then it was like Romeo and Juliet, like you say no, then I'm going to say yes, right, and so we were sneaking around, and whatever, my wife was facilitating us going on dates at movie theaters, like what a terrible, man, bad influence out there, but, but her parents called me a rapist. I never engaged in any activity that would be 
like you couldn't misconstrue it unless kissing her is rape. And maybe it could be, but it wasn't, I promise. Uh, but, but like they called me a rapist. And they didn't call me that. They, 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 they talked about me and it got back to me. And you know, that offended me. Right? Because when people talk bad about you, and I was a 14, 15 year old kid, right? I was so upset. I also called one of my best friends a thief, which might have been true. I'm not going to get into that, okay? But, but really, like, they just really were down. These are adults. They should know better. Adults here, just so you know, like, like be kind to those youth in the world out there, okay? Like, they're, they're, they're works in progress. One day they'll be a preacher, and they're going to talk about you. And you don't want to be that person, okay? Troy Brown, my wife did not like that at all, <laughs> right? Right? You don't want to be that person. Right, but, but but when people talk about you, you get upset. But you know, you don't go back in your mind and think about all the times you said bad things about other people, right? Like you know, you don't you don't play that game. You're like, I can't believe they said that about me, and you don't want to roll back your conversation like two minutes when you were gossiping about your boss or your coworker or someone else. I don't want to have that conversation. They're talking about me, and that's what the Ecclesiastes writer wants to say here. It's like, look, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. We're just really bad judges of it. Because when you see someone else sin against you, you get this righteous indignation. For this other person, like you just ignore the fact that you've been talking about them. Some of you are gossips in this room right now. Uh, I try not to be, but I can get into it a little bit myself. Right? You've got to be careful about that. Be careful about it. Be careful about what you say about other people. It matters. Right? Guard your tongue. Not every story is a story that has to be shared. Like, I don't have to talk about Troy Brown from the pulpit. I don't have to do that. How life is just on me today. Man. We're going, after this, I'm, I'm going on a car ride for several hours to my parents' house. I hope my wife comes with me. That's all I think about that. You know, the truth is that we all fall short. But God doesn't fall short. Right? This is the standard that the Ecclesiastes writers are on. Right? Like, like, God has everything in control. Right? God's got all history in control. And wisdom and foolishness have limits because God ultimately is in control of all of that. And we fall short, you fall short, I fall short, but God doesn't fall short. This is the picture that he's driving home repeatedly here. And then he continues on uh, in verse 23. He says, all this I have tested by wisdom. And I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far, that, that which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? So I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things, and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. So he devotes his life to wisdom and to folly. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, and whose hands are fetters. He who places, pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. I'm not going to deal too much with that, but see this alone I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Okay, so he, he goes here and he says, look, I sought out wisdom and folly. I sought to know uh, God, or God's ways and, and the depths of God's knowledge, and, and, I, and I plumbed that, and also I schemed wickedness and folly as well. And one of the things he saw that was out there in the world was the same thing that the author of Proverbs goes through a lot, which is he deals with the idea of women, right? And, I, and I'm pro-woman. I have uh, a wife. I've got three daughters. Uh, I, I'm not down on women. But if you read in Proverbs, when it talks about the woman, there's this idea of a woman 
who's seeking uh, right, to entrap a man, this, this adulteress or something like that. That's kind of the picture that he's drawing here. Uh, there's, 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 there's men who go through their lives sort of helplessly and then just find themselves wandering into the arms uh, of this woman whose mind is set on, on entrapping him in some sort of sin. Right? That's the picture there, but, but the point that he draws out is what he finishes with, right? Which is that, 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 you know, he says, See this alone I have found, that God made man upright, but they sought out many schemes. You know, if you go back to the very beginning of Genesis 1 and 2, when God made man and God made woman, he made us upright, right? It was very good when he made you. You were made upright. But it didn't take us long to begin to scheme against that. God has this perfect plan laid out in front of you. He has this goal laid out in front of you. And all you had to do was not take the fruit and eat it. And what did we do? We took the fruit and eat it. And we have been eating from that fruit ever since. Right? You and I have been, have been consistently choosing to do, like God's like, just don't do this thing. And we're like, yeah, I'm going to do that thing. Right? As soon as it's said, I have a three-year-old, it's one of the things that you can do to him, be like, Okay, so you can't have this. And he's like, I want that. And you're like, no, you can't. No, I want that. You can have any of it. No, I want that. Right? So it's, it's how we're, we're it's, a, it's a thing inside of us. It's a brokenness inside of us. It broke at the fall. And it's been broken ever since. God made us to be upright. You were made to be holy. You were made to be in this unity with God, to be connected to God uh, in, in a perfect relationship. But you have broken that. Right, you have chosen, right? like sheep have gone astray. And so we have turned away from what God has put before us. Maybe we turned away, just like the, the people in this story, into the arms of someone who we should not be with. right? Someone who's leading us uh, into sin. Or maybe we've just followed after other passions in our life. Chasing after money, chasing after prestige, chasing after uh, someone to, to stroke our ego and to give us uh, what we need to satisfy the monster that's pride inside of us. Whatever it is, whatever it is, we have turned away. You know, God never turns away from you. This is the, the beauty of the gospel, is that God seeks you when you're wayward. I love the story of the prodigal son, right? The, the son goes off and blows his inheritance on uh, money and loose women, loose women and drugs and, and booze, and he comes back home and he says, I just want to be a servant for my dad. And his dad is seeking for him, scanning the horizon, sees his son a far way off and runs him because the, the father is seeking the son. God, God is seeking you. You've gone astray. You've gone lost. You've wandered your own way. Jesus came to the earth to seek and to save that which was lost. You are the lost sheep. And Jesus came to find you and to make a way for you to get back into that upright status that God has created for you to be in. All right, you are made to be in a right relationship with God. You're, you're made to be in a right relationship with God, but, but, but we struggle with that. I want you to know God is seeking you today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross for your sins, which were many. And while you were an enemy of His, while you were uh, uh, against the things of God... He died for you so that you could have your sins forgiven and your righteousness could be reestablished. You're not righteous. You're not good. You're a pretty sorry person. But God is good. And Jesus is good. And His goodness is given to you. Imputed on you. 
placed upon you. And so when God sees you as you've come to express faith in Jesus Christ, right? confess your mouth to Jesus Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When you've done that, God looks at you, and instead of seeing you and your sin and your failings and everything that you've done, all the waywardness that you've taken, the arms of the people you shouldn't have been in, the places that you never had any business of going, uh, your quest for constant satisfaction of things outside of what God has made you to know. Right? And at the end of all of that, instead of seeing that, he sees Jesus. Because Jesus covers you. That is the gospel. That God would come to earth and send Jesus to earth to die for sinners and to seek us out and to give us righteousness that we have forfeited so that we can be in a right relationship with a good and loving God. It is good news today. And that is the good news that we have. Like We have limits. And we're, we're, this passage points out limit after limit. We don't know everything. We can't fix everything. We don't control our destiny. We don't have any this, this grand control that we think we have. We're wayward. We want to walk straight and we walk wayward. But out of all of those things, out of all of our limits, it points us to a limitless God who looks to save sinners. One of the things I love about, about our country, right, is our country... Right, was established, in, 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 in name at least, right, to be this city on a hill. There's a lot of writings about it, right, being a city on a hill, pointing people right, to, to, to God. And man, we have gone wayward. Right? You read our history, even at our starting, you're like, man, there's some stuff there that's not pretty. Right? Just the, the fact that we codified slavery for a long period in our, in our country, that's not, that's not acceptable. It is. It, it's who we are. It's true. It's not acceptable. Not every activity we've ever engaged in in our country and around the world, how we treated citizens and foreigners, has been proper and righteous. But you know, while we fail as a country periodically, or maybe more often than that, depending on leadership and depending on how we follow, God never fails. Right? And so that's still that picture that we're a city on a hill isn't lost because God is still in control. And He still isn't failing. So, so while the country might fail, while you might fail, while we may fall short of our ideals that we have, God never falls short because our limits lead us to a limitless God, this God who is not bound by this like frail nature. He always gets it right. And that is a reason that we can praise God. That we can look at this God who's in control of everything that we're not in control of and be like, you know what, that's okay. I don't have to be in control because a God who loves me enough to send his son to die on the cross to give me salvation by covering my sins, that God has all of history in control. And if he's got all of history in control, I'm going to trust him today. Your limits, your frailties, your failings should drive you to seek out the one who has no limits, has no frailties, and has no failings. God never fails. He's not going to fail today. Let's pray.